I'm sure glad this isn't a rocking chair. <laughs> because the folk would then say, Dad's his office rocker. <laughs> Lord Jesus, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart please you. For I ask you in Jesus' name, Amen. I love Christmas. I love everything there is about Christmas. I love the sounds. You can go from classical to mahim. How do you say that word? Steamroller. Yeah. <laughs> the smells. I love food. But more than anything else, I love the spirit of Christmas. It's a spirit of reciprocity. The act of giving and receiving. By the way, put a clock up there, please. When I was uh, recording uh, the, the devotional things, I asked for a clock and the guy said, you need a calendar. <laughs> Boy, they sure know how to hurt an old man. Ah, that's better. I will not keep you very long this morning, I promise you. I want to talk about Christmas. I want to talk about Christmas in two angles, or the context of two arenas. First of all, I want to look at Christmas in the context of the world. There are three things which are very evident from Scripture with regard to Christmas. First of all, Christmas exposes the profound intent of divine love. Christmas exposes the divine intent of divine love. It corrects pagan philosophy. Pagan philosophy has always been that God is angry. God is always looking for an excuse to judge or to interrupt or to punish. The scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We all know, verse 16, but verse 17 accentuates it. For God sent not his son in the world to condemn the world. And the word crisis simply means to pass sentence, to pass judgment on. But he sent him to, that the world through him might be saved. And there you get that delicious little word called sodso. I know that it means saved, but it's, it's a much more expansive word than that. In the context of Joseph, it's used in, it means pardon. He shall save his people from their sin. In the context of the woman with the issue of blood, it said, if I can but touch the tzitzit at the end of his garment, <laughs> 
I should be healed. And Jesus turned to her and said, woman, you are healed. That's the word, so so. It's used of the demoniac who having come from the, the Lord having visited the east side of the Galil, met this man who was possessed with a multitude of demons. And the Lord cast the demons out of him. And it says, when the people saw that he was so-so, when they saw that he was whole. You see, when we talk of being saved, we not just speak of being rescued from something, we speak of being appointed to something. And that's the expanse of the word. He sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Oh, I know that word is used in the context of the guys in the sinking ship as the Lord was sleeping in the, in the back of the boat. And because it's not so much concern about the ship in the water, but they were concerned about the water in the ship. And they said, we're sinking. And they said to Master, Master, so-so, rescue us, rescue us. I'm so grateful that when you look at Christmas, the profound intent, the first profound intent of Christmas is to save us. Hallelujah. I'm redeemed by love divine. Let me jump forward a little further. But not only is Christmas, not, not only does Christmas expose the profound intent of divine love, Christmas evidences the practical intent of divine love. For the word simply reminds us, God sent his only begotten son. God gifted the world with his son. And Jesus gifted the world with his life. Oh, the mystery of the incarnation as Pastor talked about a few weeks ago. And the infamy of the cross makes a perfect blend when you look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand bemused at the introduction. We stand amazed and astonished at the conclusion that God would be willing to go so far to do so much to experience such incruciating expression so that you and I might be redeemed. Jesus said he'd come to manifest love. He'd come to reveal the heart of the Father. In fact, on three occasions, the Apostle John reminds us for the reason of Jesus coming. He didn't just come to show how bright God is, although I must be honest, God's quite bright. He didn't come to show us how mighty God is. Boy, you talk about muscles, he has them all. He came to reveal God's love. 
and on three occasions, the first time is in John chapter three, where we have the encounter of Jesus and Nicodemus. And as they're in dialogue together, Nicodemus has become confused. And it's not difficult to confuse religious people. But he was totally out of his depth. And the Lord said to him, Oh, Nick, don't you understand that that when you talk of flesh is flesh, and that which you talk of spirit is spirit? Oh, no. I know a lot about the first part, but Lord, I'm slightly lacking in knowledge of the second part. And Jesus simply said, well, let me remind you, you have to be born again. And how is that going to take place? Well, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoso believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the first occasion that the Lord Jesus reminds people he'd come to be lifted up. The second occasion is found in John chapter 8, where speaking, he simply said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, that I do nothing on my own, but speak what the Father taught me. But the third time, you remember the occasion, it's the last week, Greeks are turned up and they're fascinated. They want to talk to Jesus. We're not sure what they want to talk about, but we know that Greeks love to talk philosophy. Or they could have said, we would like to discuss politics with you because Greeks love to talk about politics. But they said, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus simply let them know. He said these words, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. This spake he, or the way he was going to die. And so, in the first part, looking at the love of God, or the love of the Father, it expresses the profound intent when we look at the love of the Son, it, prov it provides for us or pictures the practical intent. But now when we turn, because not only did God love the world, not only does Jesus love the world, the Holy Spirit loves the world. God the Father sent Jesus, and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And now we have the prevailing intent of divine love. What does it mean? Jesus made a profound statement. He said, it's expedient for you that I go away, oh, so that I shall send unto you the Comforter. And he's going to do three things for the world. Three very, very simple things, and yet three very profound things. He said, first of all, he's going to convict. Oh, we don't like that word, do we? It's a bad word. Convict simply means 
He wants he has come to reveal to the world its miserable condition. Hamatir simply means to miss the mark, and he's come to convict of sin, to let the world know that there is a better way to live than to be bound in the track of sin. But also he came to reveal righteousness. Not only has he come to reveal to the world its miserable condition, he's come to restore in the world a moral compass. You know, as much as our world seems to enjoy the fact that my truth is as good as your truth, and your truth is as good as anybody else's truth. That simply leads to anarchy. And because we have denied this sense of absolute truth, what we've really lost is that moral compass. It's a moral compass that keeps a family together. It's a moral fam it's a moral compass that makes society real and relevant. The moral compass that guarantees the future. But not only had he come to reveal the world of its miserable condition, not only had he come to restore a moral compass, but he came to remind the world of its the moral consequences. The semester of life ends with an examination. Oh, I used to love that term. I used to love the, the last week of the last week of a semester, particularly when I put the pen down for the last time and closed the book. I said, done. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's done. Hallelujah. The Lord has sent the Holy Spirit to remind the world that what you see is not all you get. That there's something more to this life than just the now factor. And so we've looked at the divine love in the context of the world. God so loved the world. But you know, God so loves the church. And I'm excited about the fact of God so loving the church. Because, first of all, Christmas unveils the extravagance of God's love. Only God could provide such a gift. You know, I was watching TV and I saw that a young guy was disappointed because he only got a Ferrari. He wanted a Lamborghini. You know, the spirit of righteousness rose within me. I think, I said, Lord, he deserves a yoga. the vastness 
of God's love. Paul signified the vastness of this love by simply saying that God made him who had no sin to become sin, that we who were sinners might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The love of God. Paul also said that God was in Christ reconciling the world back unto himself. God's love. But on wings of inspiration, as Paul begins to soar through what we call Romans chapter 8, it opens up with no condemnation, but it ends with no separation. Separation from what? Well, Paul, in his own inimicable way, speaks of, he gives the nomenclature of to of who? To four entities. I'm not going to mention them, except one. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Four times he uses the term who. But then he goes on to define the what. Thirteen times he speaks of what. What can separate us? Life, death, principalities, powers, pre things present, things to come, height or depth. And he says, no, 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 no. None of these things can separate us from God's love. God loves the church. Let me make it a little more personal. God loves you. I think on every Christmas time we ought to sing that great old carol, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. God loves us. Ah, but Christmas also not only makes reference to the extravagance of God's love, it also evidence the fact of the God's ex the excellence of God's love. Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, said it this way, for this reason, let me read it, I bow my knee before the Father. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that's a path of knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. God so loved the church. 
that he gave us his son to be the head of the church. Aren't you glad? You know, just think of the number of popes that we've had throughout all the ages. Some been good, some been average, and some been uh, uh, something else. But the Pope is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And we know what Jesus is like. It says he came. Why? He became one of us so that he might be able to minister to us and identify with us our weakness and every trauma that we go through. He can honestly say, been there, experience that. So the writer this Hebrews says, therefore, because we have such a high priest, high priest, one who is entered the holiest of all, let us come boldly before the throne of grace to, to find grace to help in time of need. If you stand in need of this morning, God loves you. Jesus so loves you that he came and gave his life that you might come boldly to the throne of grace. Let me close. Not only does the Father love us, not only does the Son love us, but the Holy Spirit loves us. And in such, Christmas unveils the eternity of God's love. Ah. Pastor could spend a long time on this. He would really need a calendar to plumb the depths of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The writer of the Revelation speaks of the seven spirits or the sevenfold function of the Holy Spirit. Let me just introduce three of them to you. The Holy Spirit. The first thing that he does for us is this. He enlivens us. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, said it this way, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. He has made us alive in God. It's the Holy Spirit that enlivens the church. We did not join the club. In fact, if you just join the club, you can, you can resign from the club and go and join on something else. But you're not joined in a club. You are born into a family. He enlivens us. Whether you like it or not, you are in. And if you like it or not, you're stuck with the folk you're sitting next to. Hallelujah. I don't like you. That's fine. He does. <laughs> he enlivens us. But he enlightens us. He gives us an insight to who and what we are. 
Now, I was born in the British Isles. And the British Isles, they're very, very conscious of the royals. I'm not talking about Kansas City. I'm talking about the royals. And they, they talk of blue blood. I don't have blue blood. I was born ordinary. But I want you to know, I belong to a family. I'm an heir of God. Joint heir with Jesus Christ. I got class, brother. I know it doesn't look like it. I know it doesn't sound like it. And the older I get, the worse it's going to become. But I want you to know, I got class. Born by the Spirit of God. A member of the royal family. The royal family. The only royal family. The one who rules and reigns over the affairs of the world. Not only in time, but also for eternity. He enlightens us. He enlightens us not only to who we are, but he takes a dry page and causes it to come to life. That you're reading something and some say, oh, I haven't seen that before. And so you say, Lord, you must have just put that in there. The Lord said, uh-uh, it's been in there a long, long time. I've just made it alive to you. He enlightens us. But then, he empowers us. A couple of months back, it was time for me to go and have a, a medical. And so, I went to see my doctor, Dr. Pavey, great, 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 great physician. Just retired. So I'm there and, and he knew about my fall and knew all about that. And so we went through the thing and then he said, okay, I want you to sit up on the bed. So I sit, sitting up and there he's typing some things on the computer. And now he said, now Des, I want you to do two things. And he mentioned the first thing. I said, huh? I said, Doc, you must be joking. <laughs> he looked at me. I said, I could hardly do that. Before I messed up my shoulder, I haven't got a hope of doing it now. And he began to laugh. He said, well, you don't have to do it. I just want to see how much you can do of it. I said, I can't do very, very much with it. He said, try. So I tried. I was right. I <laughs> now he said the second thing. I said, you're still joking, aren't you, Doc? I think the disciples felt that way. When in the context of Matthew, Speaking of the last time, the Lord simply says to them, um, I want you to go, okay? 
and I want you to disciple the nations. Huh? They were more concerned about what the Lord is going to do. When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And the Lord said, ah, you got the accent wrong. It's not what I'm going to do. It's what you're going to do. I want you to go. So we can't do that. He said, oh, yes. For the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And he who has enlivened you, he who enlightens you will now empower you. And we know what happened, that when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came, and it revolutionized everything about them. Fearful people became bold. Hesitant people became active. Slow-speaking people suddenly had eloquence. All because the Holy Spirit had come. You see, Bethesda, these are the gifts that Father God has given to us, the church. Reminds us how much he loves us, how much the Son loves us, and how much the Holy Spirit is involved in us. The tragedy is, some in the world, they're aware of the package, but they never open it. The infamy of the church some of us, we know that he's given us a package, but we never open it. And for that, I simply say, God help us.